Hey, you jackals. Welcome to For What It's Worth podcast. If you are new here, this is a podcast that absolutely no one in the world asked for. And yet here it is. Uh, so we've got a, a whole bunch of stuff going on. I just am sitting around having a couple of shots of adrenochrome. But before you get all pissed off, just realize those kids were not going to amount to anything anyway. So me milking them for adrenochrome, whatever. Uh, it's not like that's a big loss. So wink, wink for all of you out there if you don't know about this crazy story about, uh, you know, some, some of the more conspiracy-minded people in our country talking about adrenochrome. You should look it up. By the way, the best realistic reference of adrenochrome is uh, in Hunter Thompson's uh, rum diary where he basically takes adrenochrome and uh yeah wait for that scene the movie's not so good the book rum diary by the way is awesome so i'm getting ahead of myself uh the adrenochrome has got me all fired up wink wink and uh i want to get to this podcast if you're new here i don't know what to tell you you've probably run out of options and this might be considered the last thing you have or maybe you're doing public service i have no idea and if you're a uh, return customer, well, I know where you're at in your life. But before we get to the protocol, and basically um, this is for, you know, uh, what I do with this podcast is I say who this podcast is for. And then I give you the hero of the week, the go to the week. And then we talk about, you know, eight or ten random topics. And when I say random topics, these are not about necessarily about photography filmmaking, which obviously I just, uh, I'm about to tell you in a second, I absolutely suck at filmmaking. Um, not sure I'm ever going to get better, but also figured out a way maybe I don't have to get better. I can maybe ignore it and stop doing it. I don't know. It's all on the table. But before we get to the hero of the week, uh, there's a couple of points I want to make because, man, this is America, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of losing hope in us here. It, it's it's at the point where every day I see or hear something where I'm like, geez, are we really at that point now? But listen, if you're if you're some one of if you're anyone out there, whether you're in another country or here in the United States, and you are surprised in any way, shape, or form by what is happening with the Supreme Court rulings in the United States, then you are either asleep or your head's up your bungholio. Because, and this is where you got to give Donnie dipshit, you got to give Trump credit. Trump is a shrewd dude. He's, he's, he's been shrewd his whole life because if based on his behavior and his, or less than savory behavior and actions and business and all that, he's a shrewd guy. One of the first things he did when he won the presidency is he started appointing judges. And he appointed them all the way down, local level. He especially went after the appellate court system. And he certainly went after the Supreme Court. And based on a couple of things that were really beyond his control, like uh, Ginsburg hanging around far, far, far too long, Trump was able to appoint three people to the Supreme Court. And he appointed three winners. Let me tell you, all of these people, based on information out there, lied on their appointments. We all knew where this was going. We all knew what kind of political slant they had. And they did exactly what you should have expected them to do, which is to rule in ultra-right fashion and overturn as much legislation as possible, trying to really turn the country into some sort of bizarre Christian, um, who knows, Christian authoritarian uh, platform, program, group. I don't know. 
Um, the odd part is that, well, there's a lot of odd parts of this, but you should not be surprised at all. This writing was on the wall the second those judges were appointed. So if you're surprised and shocked and you think that this is going to turn around somehow or get better, uh, I think you're in for a Category 5 storm that hasn't even hit yet. So just be ready. And the second part of the thing that I want to talk to you before we get to the hero of the week is um, you. I want to talk just for a second about Joe Rogan, right? I've talked about Joe Rogan before on this podcast uh, probably a couple of times. And I look at Joe Rogan and I say, you know what? You have got to give that guy credit. That guy turned into the most successful podcaster in history. He has a massive audience, and he did it outside of mainstream. So he was able to, to command and does command a massive audience that the networks would kill for. Not only would they kill for his audience, but they would kill for an audience that's willing to, to listen for two to three hours at a time. That just does not happen on the networks because their programming is so lame. And by the way, when I say networks, whatever network you're watching, I'm talking about your network. They're lame. It doesn't matter if it's right or left or eccentric or anything else. They're lame. They're just not built for the modern world. Joe Rogan came in and said, you know what? Screw all these people. I'm going to do it myself. And he did. But here's the wrinkle. He's in trouble for a lot of like, you know, typical. He says a lot of really stupid things on the podcast. And he's in trouble for some anti-vax things that he was spreading. Um, but here's the thing. Joe Rogan is an entertainer. And obviously, he's good at what he does because take a look at those numbers, right? So I'm not saying I agree with Joe Rogan. I'm saying he's good at what he does. If you're going to Joe Rogan to get information about vaccines, you are a total dumbass. That would be like me going to my mother uh, for, uh, I don't know, auto parts. Like to say, hey, uh, mom, can you help me uh, swap out the tranny in my uh, – 1965 Dodge. My mom doesn't know anything about auto parts. Why would Joe Rogan know anything about vaccines? Where is he getting his information? Does he have any medical background? Does he have any medical training? No, nothing. He's pulling it from random sources out there, from random places in the world, and then spewing it out. And his audience, oddly enough, not really, it's not odd at all considered based on the education level in America. There's a lot of people that eat up what he says as factual information. And I'm sure there are things throughout the day that he's talking about that are absolutely 100% factual. Conor McGregor knocking out Jose Aldo in eight seconds. Fact. That happened. Rogan covers it. it whatever. When it comes to medical things, why the F would you turn to somebody like a podcaster to figure out what the accurate information is. So people can be up in arms about his anti-vax rants or whatever they are. It doesn't matter. if it, The problem is you, not him. So if you don't like what he has to say, turn it off. And if you believe him for medical advice, you're a moron. Okay, on a positive note, let's move on. Our hero of the week. This is a good one. That, well, actually, who's this podcast for? Anyone who has no other options. That's who this podcast is for. Our hero of the week is anyone who, who was fortunate enough to dissect a suckling pig. Now, I'm going to repeat that. The hero of the week is anyone who was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to dissect a suckling pig. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, in American public schools back in the middle school time frame, and I'm, I can almost guarantee they're not doing this anymore. I actually have no information 
in favor or not in favor of whether or not they're actually still doing this. But in biology class, you had to dissect a suckling pig, which, by the way, came in a bag of what looked like Thanksgiving gravy. It was a little suckling pig, obviously dead, in a little pla clear plastic bag covered in what looked like the gravy that your mother would make for mashed potatoes. All caps, awesome. This was awesome because when the vat of suckling pigs came into the room, some people threw up, other people ran screaming from the room, other people said, I refuse to do this, and me and my friends, we dug right in. I'm sure one of us tasted that gravy thinking maybe it was actually gravy. But dissecting the suckling pig was awesome because you started with a frog and then you did an earthworm. Those are pretty tame because a dead frog, a frog that's been dead for a while, doesn't really have any fluid in it. So it's pretty dry. You open it up, not a lot of working parts in the frog. And then the earthworm, pretty boring, obviously. A and as a young boy, you probably squeezed and squished hundreds, if not thousands of those things because young boys are demented and horrible and try to kill most other things. When you graduate to the suckling pig, it separated the men from the boys, the girls from the women, and it was awesome. And just getting the gravy off the thing was enough to, I don't know, trigger the gag reflex on probably 50% of the class. By the way, my biology class was taught by a PE coach. So not exactly like top-level education here, which, by the way, we've spoken about many, many times here. America has absolutely no chance to right the ship until we fix our education system, which I can't imagine happening anytime soon. We are too far gone. I am waiting for the end, which I think is going to come a lot faster than people assume. I think the end when it comes in America is going to be fast, going to be over a couple of weeks. The whole thing is going to unravel. The good news is if we survive, we get to rebuild. Okay. I told you who this was for, anyone with no other options in life, this podcast. Our hero of the week is anyone fortunate enough to dissect a suckling pig. And our go to the week, God, there are so, so, so many. I heard five just walking around the town I'm in right now. I mean, holy cow. I've heard some real winners out there. And you know what? At some point, I will be the go to the week. I've made horrible mistakes repeatedly in my life. And I just told you, um, well, no, I haven't really talked about it yet, but what I've been working on over the past uh, five, four or five hours, absolutely crap work. So I could potentially be on this list. But it's hard to bypass Lindsey Graham for this week's Go to the Week. Lindsey's been on my Go to the Week list before, but what I saw earlier this week was just so absolutely astoundingly good. I knew that I had to add him again because Lindsey Graham, who's from South Carolina, went to a Trump rally in his own state and the crowd turned on him. Now, this little weasel who went from Trump is a disaster, he's a psycho, he has no business being in the presidency, to absolutely coddling Trump in every way, shape, or form, uh, to watch not only the crowd turn on Lindsey at the podium trying to give a speech, and the crowd, every time he says, settle down, settle down, the crowd starts to boo, and they're like flipping him off and thumbs down in the background, as typical Trump supporters would do. They're turning on him. And you think, wow, this is bad. This is as bad as it's going to get for this loser. And then Trump takes the podium. And with Graham sitting in the front row, Trump turns on him again. 
and the crowd gets even rowdier. I thought for a minute they were just going to pick him up out of the crowd and just rip his limbs from his body. And Trump was loving it. He was dressing down and insulting Graham to his face in front of his home state crowd. And Lindsey still bowed down to this guy. And the whole thing in my head, I was like, who's got the footage? Who has the footage of what Trump has on Lindsey Graham? It has to be fantastic. Five star. Talk about YouTube views and subs. Upload that thing, whatever it is. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I've got ideas of what I think could be on that footage, but I really need to see it. I mean, it's a, it's a public service for us to be able to know why someone with Lindsey would suck up to Trump at that level. It's crazy. And remember, when Jan 6th happened, Lindsey just dabbled in turning against Trump. Just dabbled for like an hour. He was like, this is it. It's his fault, whatever. An hour later, he was, he was on his knees, hands in front of him, praying to Trump to take him back in the fold. I love this. This is called political drama. We've got tons of it here. But let's move on to the points that we have to talk about today. We've got nine points, maybe 10. We've got some photography points. We've got um, the first point is about intelligence. Then we hit photography. Then I recap my road trip. Uh, we talk about my new strategy for what I'm going to do creatively. Uh, my realization about something that happened while I was on this trip. And uh, we're going to hit three sports stories very quickly. And if you're one of those people who writes off sports and thinks they're all dumb, you're dumb. Because even if you hate a sport, there's a lot to be learned from that sport or from individual people in there. So don't be one of those people that just says, oh, all sports are dumb and, uh, you know, it's all for jocks and I'm not into it. Don't be one of those art snobs because it makes you look like a clown. Okay, then we're going to talk about um, a realization I made on this trip about the automobile. So let's start out here. Point number one, and I can't speak to the other corners of the world. If you're in Denmark, if you're in Singapore, if you're in Russia, if you're in Albania, even though I was just there, if you're in another country, I don't care where you are. I can't necessarily speak to your country, even if I've been there multiple times because I'm not from there. But here in America, more and more and more, it's pretty easily identifiable that we have a dumb problem here. We're, we're dumb. Not everyone. And we do have incredible people here that do have high levels of intelligence. We have entrepreneurship. We have innovation. There's still a lot of really redeeming things about the United States. But I'm looking at that 80 percentile right down the middle. The 20 percent or the 10% the at the top, I just mentioned innovation. Uh, we're doing all kinds of interesting, great things. The bottom 10% mouth breathers, right? Those people, technically they're alive. You'd be hard pressed to figure out how to judge that. Not really contributing anything. I'm talking about that 80% in the middle that is like public school educated, um, not real motivated. They only have that level, a lot of just high school diplomas, not intelligent people. We are so undereducated here. 50% of the country cannot find the U.S. on a map. Over 40% don't hold a passport. You see where I'm going here. But this is, there's a couple things I've heard. I'm, right now I'm in, the, I'm in coastal Maine, 
and the white sharks have been moving into this area for a couple of years now. There have been a lot of conservation efforts with seals, and the seal is one of the primary food sources for the white shark. So as you would imagine, <coughs> if you have any awareness of your environment, you would know you're going into the Northeast, places like Cape Cod, places like Fire Island in New York, which saw, I think, two or three shark attacks yesterday alone. And up here in coastal Maine, where a woman was killed last year, and there have been many, many shark sightings, and some of these sharks are tagged, and they're pinging off the buoys that are and the, the towers on the coastline. You, ha you're, you, you basically should be aware that you're going into an environment that is rapidly changing. There are a lot more white sharks here than there were a few short years ago. Might want to know that. I'm watching, I turn on the TV, there's news. They have a quote-unquote shark advisor. And the advisor says, well, beachgoers, stay aware of your surroundings. And I'm thinking to myself, are we at that point where you have to have a quote shark advisor tell the public to stay aware of their surroundings? I'm like, what a bunch of morons. Then I turn on the, the, same, the same exact TV because there's only one in this place that I'm at. Thank God it's not in my room. It's in somebody else's. And there was a kid who got busted for carving his name into the Roman Colosseum. And his, his excuse was that he didn't realize the age of the Colosseum. Okay, I don't know. Like I said, I know how bad the U.S. school system is. I think this kid was a Brit. So maybe England, maybe you are dangerously close to us when it comes to education. But to not realize the age of the Colosseum. Okay, so see where I'm going here. I'm giving you a couple of things. Then I heard a radio ad about losing weight and talking about how I'm not sure you're going to be able to lose weight on your own. You might need a coach. And I thought, well, if we're this far into human evolution and you don't know how to lose weight and you need a coach, I, I, I just think we're, we're really in trouble. But then I made the fatal mistake of walking around a tourist area, a very small, very dense, very heavily trafficked tourist area. Now, it was supposed to pour. So for the first time in, in, in my memory, I did not take my backpack. So I had no camera, no binoculars, no journal, no baseball hat. Uh, what else? No yo-yo, no fake spider, you know, all the normal shit that you would put in your backpack because my normal everyday backpack is not waterproof and it doesn't even have a rain cover. So, and it, it had literally been a torrential download, uh, deluge for three days straight when the clouds broke and we decided to make a run for this little tourist area. Now, I hate tourist areas. I'm not sure how else I can put that, how polite I can be here. I hate tourist areas. I don't like tourists. I don't like going to those areas. But sometimes when I'm in a very twisted move, mood, I will go just to see how horrendous my fellow Americans are and how bad tourism really is. So we get down there, and all I'm doing, my only mission, is to get dangerously close to some of these people, this, this weird species called the American tourist. I get as close as I can. I'm like David Attenborough. I'm digging in. I'm in a blind. I'm right next to them. I'm creeping in, and all I'm doing is listening to their conversations. And if I had any hope at all 
that we would find our way out of the, the chasm that we're in right now as a culture and society. If, if I had any hope at all, it was dashed in seconds by listening to the inane conversation that tourists have. And oh, by the way, little details, just little details about things. Everybody's wearing everything new. Everybody's clothes and shoes and hats, everything is new. That's unsustainable. Like, it's disposable. These clothes are worn for a season, thrown away, end up in the closet. The closets are thrown away. All of this stuff, I was like, okay, we can't sustain any of that. The quality of food around in the area, not good. Terrible. And I would say probably 60% of the people were severely overweight. And by severely, I mean 20 to 25 pounds overweight. And maybe it was 50%, but it was way more than it should have been. So lots of that. And then also little details like painted nails that don't just that aren't just painted, but like painted nails that have like little painted horses on them. And I'm thinking we have that. Someone's paying for that, but we're not we have a we, we have to print our news stories at a seventh grade level. A seven you realize that. Newspapers in America are printed, are written at a seventh grade level, because that's the level that the American population reads at. Seventh grade. I was a mutant in seventh grade. Mutant. I had a mullet. I had baggy parachute pants, Izod shirt with a collar up, and giant white Avia high tops. Yes, that started in middle school and carried me through high school. I was a mutant, but I could read. I don't understand our culture and society. So I think we have a dumb problem here. That's going to take several generations to fix, even if we had a plan, a national education plan now, to say, okay, look, the world's different, the world's changing, we have to adapt, we have to upgrade, we have to rethink this, we have to redesign our school system, our education system, we have to pay teachers differently, we have to train teachers differently. And by the way, this is not to say that teachers in America suck. There's a lot of great teachers out there. But the, the way that the education system is designed, not good for them. Not good. There's a reason why some of the best instructors I've ever met in my life have since quit and gone on. One's a garbage, garbage man now. So that tells you kind of where we're at when it comes to how teachers are treated and how they're paid. Uh, it sucks. And you know what? The world is laughing at us because, um, yeah, it's fun. When somebody else is in trouble, it's always fun to laugh at them, right? Okay, let's move on. Uh, point number two. This is kind of in line with the same thing. I thought the photography point would be number, number two, but it's number three. And wait for it, because it's going to be good. Um, so I'm not going to give you the author's name, but I ran out of books to read. So I had one on my Kindle. I got through it. I'm, I'm so, I've been on the road for two months. I got to where I'm at right now. The library was closed over the weekend, and I was like ran out of books, my, uh, nothing on the Kindle. I didn't want to buy anything on the Kindle because I'm two blocks away from a library that I go to every summer, and I was like, they're loaded with books. I don't want to buy anything. So I found a book, and it is a book that is written by an author that has to be one of the most popular authors in the world today. For, for as far back as I can remember, I've seen his work in – um, airports. I've seen it on the beach. I've seen it at pools. I've seen it in offices, businesses. This last name is legendary. So I was like, whoa, I've never read a book by this person. I'll read it. Oy vey. Oy. 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 I can't believe it. I, now, this is probably a 450-page book. 
I'm probably 220 pages in. It has been the hardest 220 pages in because it is the dumbest book I have ever seen. It is so poorly written. It is so transparent. Within four pages, I knew, four, now remember, I'm four pages in. It's a 400 and some page book. It's a book in a series that must include, I don't know, 30 other books in the same series with the same characters. I could tell the whole plot. I knew the exact plot of the entire thing. And what I realized was it's a Louis L'Amour book. It's the same exact formula of Louis L'Amour. And by the way, I love Louis L'Amour. I started reading him when I was in elementary school, the Western book. Same formula, good guy, bad guy, land, a woman, a river, a big fight, a lawman who may or may not be good. Same thing, same formula, every single book, love them all. But that's Louis L'Amour. This is a guy who writes basically in the spy genre, but it's the exact same formula. And someone asked me this morning, hey, what do you think about that book? And I was like, oh, God, what if they're a fan of this author? So I had to tread very lightly. I was like, well, you know, I was kind of in between books, and uh, this was here, and, you know, I'm going to the library tomorrow, and I was embarrassed. I was like, well, you know, I said it's a bit formulaic for me, and I could see they were like, hmm. It was like the Clint Eastwood movie when you hear the snake rattle, and the guy's like trying to size me up. Oh, you going to insult me now, or maybe not? Maybe this is my favorite author. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, I could kind of, you know, it's the end. The chapters are like four pages long, and at the end of the chapter, there's always like that, that last paragraph that's like, this could be good, or he might not live through it. And then you go to the next one, and you're like, oh, good grief. And then at the end of the next paragraph, you're like, this was good, or he might not live through it. And you're thinking, oh, for crap's sake. And every, all the timeline is just immediate shortened. So he ends up in this town. He's on the run. And, of course, the woman that saves him in the town, green eyes, super fit, lives in an amazing place. She's really intelligent. But why would she be in this small town? All of these just, like, horrendous formulas. And all I can think about is how many tens of millions of books are sold. How many of those people in airports, in hotels, and beaches, and pools that I've seen over the years are reading all of these books? It's, uh, it just makes my neck hurt. Like, how on earth do we consume this kind of stuff at this rate? It's staggering. But I should not have expected anything else. Hang on. I, gotta th I, I had to turn the AC on in this little room. And because uh, it is hot as balls out there, it went from three days of torrential rain to sun and high humidity, only like the way the Northeast can deliver. So, yeah, it's buggy and hot and uh, and we love it. OK, so point number three, uh, I am the proud owner of a new camera. It's not new as a new development or new technology. The camera is three years old, but it's new to me. Mine is actually new. I didn't buy it used. I got it new and it's also new to me, and it was a camera that I've bagged on a lot over the past whatever, ever since I got on YouTube. It's a hipster camera. It's a camera that the TikTokers love. Uh, most people use it as an ornament. They do not actually use it. They just carry it around, uh, or they pose with it, because that's the world we live in now. We live in the world of douchebags at epic level, and here we are. The camera itself uh, is the fifth generation in the line of cameras i owned the first one which i broke within two weeks and then i owned the second one which i sold to a friend of mine who was living on a glacier 
And he called me and said, look, man, I know you have this camera. I live on a glacier. I really need it. Can I buy it from you? And I was like, how often do you get approached by a guy who lives on a glacier? I was like, of course, I'll sell it to you. Then I promptly forgot about the entire camera system. And uh, then I had uh, a bit of luck, a bit of luck, met with the right person. Right person says, what about this camera? I was like, well, I don't know. I've never thought about that camera. He's like, well, I think I can help you get one. And uh, boom, there it was in my hand, the Fuji X100V in black, of course, because what else would I, what other kind of camera would I want? And by the way, there's all kinds of noise happening around me. Some stranger just pulled up in the driveway and uh, he's getting in and out of his truck. It looks like he's a construction worker. That's not going to end well for this podcast. Anyway, X100V. So I just got this thing. I ordered a uh, lens hood for it and a filter because the only like weak link of that camera in terms of weather sealing is the lens. So I put on a filter, put on the lens hood. I put on a soft release, um, nothing fancy, just something tiny because that uh, the camera is so small. I would normally never use a soft release. And again, I've bagged on people for two years for using soft releases on this camera because I think a lot of people kick this camera out and they never use it. It's very rare that I, whoa, rare that I find someone who uses this camera uh, and makes fantastic work. But while I was teaching in Albania, I had a student Tony, who used this camera and made really good work. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I actually felt good about that because so many of the people hyping this camera, when you see their work, it's like, "Uh, uh." you just look and go, okay, this person doesn't know anything about photography. They know how to make YouTube films. They know how to tweak files in Lightroom, but they really don't capture anything of interest. Tony, on the other hand, made great work. And I was like, oh, that's good to see. And also I was around him for a week straight or eight, eight or nine days straight. So I was able to see how he worked with the camera and then also how just how tiny that thing was. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And in the back of my head, I was like, you know, on these trips where I'm teaching, I'm not shooting my own work. So my photography is way down the list. And so I was like, oh, it would be so nice to have a camera that small and only take that camera because then it would lighten my load considerably. And so in the back of my head, I was like, oh, that would be, you know, whatever. And then I forgot about it. It wasn't until I got back to the States where I had this opportunity to get it. And I was like, oh, okay, so I'll get this thing. So I've, I've had it. It's been put together for a half a day. I already made one image with it that I really like. And it's a picture of a person who is in the middle of a conversation and that person is talking to someone else who's to my immediate left, and the person I photographed is my immediately in front of me. And I was probably three feet away from him when I made this picture. And he's a guy who's pretty uh, aware of himself, like self-conscious. And I don't think he had any idea I was there making this picture. And it's not like the be-all, end-all picture in the world. It's a picture that I love because I think it makes, you know, this guy looks really good. I'm going to turn my email off there so you don't get... Uh, deafened by that anymore anyway this thing is absolutely tiny i took a picture of it last night compared to my um xh2s with a 3314 and it's absolutely a fraction of the size and weight of that rig so for my workshops it's it's going to be great i think it's a good camera for me to take on my bicycle on my motorcycle Uh, And also, if I'm on a blurb trip where I'm not there to create content and I'm just there for myself, again, saves a ton of size and weight. Uh, It uses the old battery. Um, Thankfully, I kept my uh, XH—no, not my XH2, my X-T2, which has—I have a ton of those old batteries. 
Uh, it shoots video. I have no idea if I'll ever use it for that, uh, but it's interesting. And it's also a, what I would call snapshot camera. And I used to shoot snapshots all the time. When I had my Leica cameras, my Leica M4, my M6, and I, I, I even took international trips where my only goal was to shoot snapshots. And for whatever reason, the Leica M cameras lended themselves to me making snapshots with them. The Fuji's not as much, and I can't explain that. But this X100, because it's always there and it's always in your hand, it is a good snapshot, snap, snapshot camera. Now, the improvements in this V version compared to the version I have are light years ahead. This camera is so much more responsive than the camera that I had however many years ago that was, 10, 12, how, whenever they launched the, X, the original X100. The autofocus on this camera is light years beyond that. The responsiveness is light years. I think the build quality is better. Uh, the lens is definitely sharper. And I think it might even be smaller. The thing is absolutely tiny. It fits in the palm of my hand. So I will be using this thing a ton. And the idea for me, when I, anytime I get a new camera, is I will find a way to commit to that camera and use nothing else for a specific thing so that I can't use it for a few minutes and then go, oh, this isn't what I'm used to. I'm going to fall back and go back to my old camera. I will just only go with this camera and see what I can come up with. So that's it. That's my X100V story. It's here. I'm sticking to it. I, I have a, uh, a strap for it. And there's one more thing I'm waiting for, which is the little thumb grip, because the camera is so damn small. It's actually at, at times kind of hard to grip because it's so tiny. So I have a little thumb grip that fits in the hot shoe that allows a place for my thumb to rest. It's like it's like having a, re a film rewind, uh, film wind crank on your camera. Just a little place, a little thing that gives your makes the camera fit in your hand a little more. Other than that, I'm ready to go. OK, let's recap. Point number four. I am two months, almost exactly two months into my uh, four-month trip. I drove across the country from, uh, I drove from Santa Fe to Boston, stopping along the way to do events and make films. That was the plan. So I stopped, uh, first night was in Kansas, in the middle of nowhere, a place that I had stayed the year before. It was a nightmare. It was super hot, dusty, and the park was filled with the biggest bunch of nitwits you've ever seen in your life. One night, got out of there, drove to uh, St. Louis. I stayed with my friend Monique, whose film I released on YouTube a few weeks ago, the audio interview with Monique. She's pretty amazing, her husband and son. Then I went to my hometown, Kennewville, Indiana. I did a film on that, which I just finished editing right before I started this podcast, and it sucks. The film sucks so bad because I'm an idiot. I am a total idiot for thinking I could roll into a town I haven't been to in 45 years and make a film in less than a day. That is just not possible for me. I don't know. Someone else can probably do it. I can't do it. I used every piece of content I made, stills, writing, video, audio. I used all of it, and the film sucks. It's for a series called From the Vein with Dan, which is a blurb series. Um, maybe they release it on their YouTube channel. If they do, I hope that they just don't tell anybody about it. They just sneak it up there and let it sit. Um, it's terrible. It's just not good. Uh, there's nothing about this film I like. And then I moved on and I went to uh, Toledo, Ohio for the biggest week in American birding. This is another film I'm going to make, which I think is going to be really good because I got a lot more stuff. I was able to spend two and a half days 
it's just there was a lot more going on. I got better light. There was all kinds of stuff happening there that I think will make a decent film for the same series from The Van with Dan. Then I went to Cleveland where I gave a talk and did a bunch of blurb stuff. And then I moved on to Pittsburgh where I also did a talk and did a bunch of blurb stuff. Uh, and then I also did a film about Gene Smith and the influence that Gene Smith had on me on the city of Pittsburgh and also on me as a photographer. That should be a decent film if I have enough content, which is still – I still have – I don't know yet. So uh, just it's just so – it's so painful, and I'm going to get to more of this in a minute. So then I drove uh, to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and I went to Lancaster Archery and bought a bow. I bought a Samick Sage recurve bow because I haven't had a bow in 40 years, and I thought, yeah, you know what? Why not? I could use it. It'd be fun just to play around with. And then I drove to um, New York State, stayed with a friend, actually got on my bicycle for the first time since I'd left home. And we had a blast. We stayed with friends. We did some, um, did a lot of work just sitting around doing normal, uh, you know, blurb stuff. And then we went out and had some fun and we had some good food and we did all that kind of stuff. And then we drove to Boston where I left the van and promptly flew to Albania. As you do when you leave your van in Albania, you often, when you leave your van in Boston, you often find yourself in Albania shortly thereafter. I can't explain it. It's just what happens. Went to Albania, taught the workshop. It was great. Went to some places I'd been before, went to some new places. Students produced, not only produced good photography, but they produced good books on top of it, magazines mostly. Uh, and that's a hard thing to do, to make pictures and to edit and sequence and then design, especially if you haven't done it before. That's a lot. It's a tall order. And I think in the middle of the class, you have a lot of people who are like, oh, man, what did I get myself into? And then second to last day, they're like, I think I made some progress here. Everybody made really good work and also really different work based on their, how they see the world. That's really the, the best part for us as instructors is to watch how that stuff comes together. Okay, left Albania, came back to Boston, went to New York for two weeks. Uh, that was great. Basically just did blurb stuff, worked, started cutting films, started writing emails, doing all the stuff I normally have to do. Left there, came to Maine where I'm at now, I'll be here for two months. And I have been, I was inside three days of absolute torrential rain, which was kind of cool. I have been, I can't even tell you what I got done in the last three days. It's, it's even for me. It's good. It's a lot. And it's all over the place. My blog posts, blurb blog posts, blurb emails, cutting films, um, doing uh, film recordings for intros, editing things, being on podcasts, being interviewed. It's been good. And that's where I'm at now. And let's move on to point five. Okay. Uh, I, I mentioned this in my YouTube channel. I'm not sure I mentioned it on here, but um, I think I just rolled past like 14,000 subscribers on YouTube, which is nothing. And by the way, that means nothing monetarily. That's like 100 bucks a month for that kind of thing. So it's a joke. Um, I don't even pay attention to it. I'm not a huge YouTube fan. I think the YouTube algorithm is inhumane, and I think it's only going to get worse if it keeps in tradition with a lot of other of the networks that are out there. I think that that's what algorithms are designed to do. They're designed to ask for more and give less in return. And I just don't think it's, it's not advantageous for me to stay on there for any reason. And so what got me thinking about was to switch to a subscription model because I have some ideas. And there's two things here I want to talk about. Subscription model for video and then taking advantage of my email newsletter, which I've never sent, which to me is hilarious, but that's a second part of this thing. But I need your help on something. So my goal is to move my video content 
to a subscription model where you would pay whatever, three or five bucks a month to get access to the videos. And the other thing in tandem with that is I have an idea for how I'm going to do this and also what kind of work I'm going to show on there. And one of the things that I find intriguing and interesting is that there are so many people that have come to me via YouTube who are really kind of unsure about long-form documentary work, how to do this kind of work. So the idea for me is to do this work, to find a project, some will be domestic, some will be international, and to show the process of how this work is done from conception of the idea to the travel, to the capture of the principal photography, to the editing, the sequence, the backing up of all the work, to the designing of the publication and to putting the publication out. It will be broken into chapters and each one of those things will be a separate chapter that will be available through the subscription video side. At the same time, and, and by the way, the subscription films will also cover a lot of things that I'm doing now. They're gonna be picture package films. There's gonna be all kinds of stuff. A lot of the same things that I'm doing there because my life is not just about photography. It's about cycling, hiking, climbing, fishing, all these other different things. I'll be making films about those as well and putting them on there. The goal is for you to pay for the subscription and then think to yourself, wow, I feel like I'm getting a ton for this tiny bit of money. That's the goal. At the same time, about six, eight, nine months ago, I deleted all my email newsletter subscribers. And I did that on purpose because I thought, okay, I've never sent a newsletter. I've had this sign up for years. What if somebody signed up five years ago and then forgot about it and they don't come to my site anymore and then all of a sudden they get a newsletter? They're gonna be pissed. They're gonna be like, who is this idiot? I never signed up for this guy. You know, and I'm going to get all this hate mail. So I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to erase this. I'm going to erase the database and get rid of everybody, which I did. Thank you, Fleming. And in the time that I put the link back up or the sign up back up, I've got about 1,800 people that have signed up. And again, I've never sent a newsletter. My question to you is, what do you want to see in that newsletter? I have ideas of what I want to do, and I want to put things in that newsletter that you're not going to get anywhere else. And also, I want to dangle some things in that newsletter that could be like, I don't know, associations that I have with different brands or different things, or it could be one-on-one -on -one, uh, portfolio reviews or something where to, be, to sign up for that newsletter, there's always going to be a chance that something else is going to land in your lap. And to me, the combination of the email newsletter, which is part of my shifter site, I love my shifter site because it's just like a journal and it's all mine. It's my ecosystem. I can do whatever I want. It's not based on an algorithm. It's not based on anyone else's advertising. It's just me. I want to keep that. I've had it forever. And it's a really important part of my online life. So I want that, and then I want the subscription thing, and I want people who are subscribers and part of my ecosystem to feel like they are really part of my ecosystem. That's the thing. And I think you will continue to get work that you're not getting anywhere else. So that's the deal. Moving on to point six, this will be slightly ironic. Um, I'm not really a filmmaker. Five minutes in Albania. And I'm walking down the street, filming myself with a GoPro, looking like a total douche, sounding like, looking like a douche. And I'm saying to myself, I'm not really a filmmaker. I'm just not a filmmaker. That's not my thing. I was a still guy for 30 some plus years and shooting stills and writing in my journal is what I want to do more than anything else. Stills and journal. 
the little caveat that sneaks in is I also love to record audio and I, I do really love the combination of audio and stills. I've always loved that combination. I think it's more powerful than video content of stills. I think audio and stills is, and it's also a lot easier to do. It's a lot simpler to, to do two things at once instead of three. But I'm not really a filmmaker. And the thing is, I think I can still do what I just told you, moving to subscription and doing the email newsletter and producing the motion content without being a filmmaker. I think I figured out a way to do this that could be painfully simple, painfully simple but effective. So forget about cinematic content. Forget about s fancy color grading. Forget about all that. It's going to be really simple. Okay, moving on to point number seven. I mentioned this early on. Don't be the art person who writes off all sports because you suck at them. If you suck at sports, it doesn't mean that sports are bad. There is a ton of awfulness that happens in professional sports. Why do you think they call the NFL the National Felons League? There's a ton. We have the concussion story in the NFL. We have terrible behavior from professional soccer stars to football players to baseball players to basketball players. It goes on and on. One of the basketball players from Memphis got suspended because he keeps showing up in these idiotic TikTok videos waving a gun around. He's out for whatever the first 20 games of the season or some slap on the wrist. You've got um, Neymar in Brazil that just got fined by the Brazilian government for illegally constructing some sort of stupid pond at his, at his place. These people are not redeeming, okay? I get it, but you can still learn a lot by watching or studying what's happening around sports or individuals. Inside of each sport, there are people that are incredibly interesting and redeeming. Now there's two people outside the window talking, and they're staring at the house as if they're going to come in and maybe do some work on the house, and then it's going to end this podcast, uh, which would probably put it out of its misery and be a good thing. So don't be the art person who writes off all of sports. We have a huge fight in the UFC coming up, Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler. Um, I'm not going to watch it because I don't have pay-per-view and I never end up watching. I just watch the recap somewhere else. That's a very intriguing storyline uh, with both of those guys. And I just want to put it out there. Cho choose a sport. You don't have to choose a mainstream sport. Don't choose NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, tennis, or golf. Choose something else, a, a fringe sport, and just start studying the stories. Take sailing. If you can't look at the the world of professional sailing and find an interesting story, it's because you're not trying. So don't, don't be that guy or that person that says, oh, sports are stupid. Speaking of that, point number eight, Tour de France is blowing up. Thank God. The days of Team Sky dominating and just running at a high level that no one else can attack and like the, the, the tour is decided by the second day and then you suffer through 19 days of excruciating boredom. This year's Tour de France so far has been by far the best thing I've seen in years and years and years. Stage one was absolute chaos and could have literally determined the winner of the tour, but not because it was so boring, because it was so unpredictable and the number of attacks. If you haven't seen anything with this year's tour, forget about the super teams. There's really only one super team, Jumbo Visma, and they're doing what they're supposed to do, and they've got some of the strongest riders, including the defending champion. But they are getting attacked right and left. You've got all kinds of unbelievable new blood, new people uh, trying new things every stage so far. I would say there's been six stages. I think four have been absolute and total chaos. Uh, 
which is so fantastic to watch. If Even if you're not a cycling fan, I think it's worth tuning in there. The last uh, number nine point is about Wimbledon. Again, you might hate tennis, but what Novak Djokovic has a chance to do is never happened before in the history of the sport. And so that to me is an interesting story. Can he do it? Can he win a calendar year Grand Slam? He's already the, the, the record holder for a number of Grand Slam titles. And you've got all kinds of new blood. The big three of the, of the last 15 years are gone for the most part. They're not really, there's kind of a shell of who they were except for Djokovic. Um, now he's a wackadoodle. This is a guy that said you could clean water by thinking about it. Um, he's got a bunch of bizarre anti-vax things that got him booted out of Australia and, and kept from pr competing in the U.S. That comes from ego and isolation and just being a wackadoodle because everyone tells you you're great, you've got more money than you can ever use, and you're probably pretty isolated because you're so famous. But um, again, you have to put that stuff aside and say, okay, well, let's look at this in history of sport. No one has ever done this before. That's interesting. Last point, the automobile. I was thinking about this the other day when I was in Boston. Boston has some of the worst traffic I have ever seen. And as of July 1st, I, I, they shut down one of their main tunnels. Oh, crap. <laughs>